Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brains, Black Holes, and Beyond, a collaboration podcast between Princeton Insights Newsletter and The Daily Princetonian. From the Prince, my name is Senna Aldabash. And my name is Simone Kirkvold. Today, we have two seniors on our show, Hannah Fonin from EEB and Imani Malrain from Chemistry. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Today's episode is a special episode for two reasons. One, it's our senior thesis episode. And two, the podcast section of The Prince is collaborating with news on this episode. So let's dive in and learn more about Hannah and Amani's theses. So what is your senior thesis about, and were there any professors or advisors who were particularly noteworthy or helpful during this process? This is Hannah speaking. Um, my thesis is about like the molecular mechanisms responsible for the evolution of social behavior in dogs. So basically, if we go like way, way back before we have like wolves and dogs as like two separate species as we know them today... We have this like ancestral wolf is what I've been calling it that we know like ethno-historically that some of them started interacting with humans, whether that was just because of proximity or because they were like purposefully interacting with each other. But like some of them were just like more friendly. I like to joke and say they were like more girly pop. Um, (laughs) And like that is what essentially led to this like difference in behavior between like wolves and dogs. So like if you put like treats in a puzzle and you put dogs in a room with it they'll solve it same thing with wolves now if you do the same thing but put a human in the room like dogs do not care um about the treat anymore like they just want to interact with people meanwhile like wolves will like still do that um and so i for my thesis specifically was looking at the specific gene that is associated with these differences in behavior and like what proteins are present there and the differences between like this genetic state and the proteins that are there to try and understand like what's happening specifically on the DNA that's causing this like huge difference that's responsible for this like pretty big evolutionary event. Also, my thesis was advised by Bridget Von Holt in the Von Holt group. Dritty Tandon was like a huge grad student. Like she helped me so much on this project and dealt with so many emails and so much like foolishness on my end. Um, and then I think like other professors in the department are like Catherine Sullivan and Corinna Tarnita, like are just amazing individuals and like if anyone has a chance to interact with them on any level ever do it because <laughs> they're great yeah that's a really tough act to follow hannah this <laughs> i is believe Imani in you speaking. <laughs> um i think most people are going to think that a chemistry thesis is really boring and i second that fully period um which is why i am a certificate student in the <laughs> sml department statistics and machine learning so the majority of my thesis has a big uh machine learning component to it So my thesis is about analyzing uh, metabolism with NMR spectroscopy. So like, what is the worst thing about going into the ER? It's the wait time. And like, why does it take so long? It's because a lot of the diagnostic testing is a very multifaceted, challenging problem. And it takes a long time, not only for the machines to collect that data, but also for the providers, the clinical professionals to read that data. And so uh, because delayed diagnosis can be like, like a really important thing, that um, can lead to like death and healthcare if people don't get the help that they need. A lot of people have thought of different ways and emerging tools to fix the problems or improve uh, diagnoses. So one biochemical approach that's emerging is called metabolic uh, phenotyping. And that basically involves collecting data from living beings, whether that be from like biofluids, like sweat or urine or blood, serum, whatever. And then you put it under a different technologies and the ones that 
are important for us are mass spec and uh, nuclear magnetic resonance and MR, you know, those useless things that we talked about in Gen Chem. Um, and then those technologies are going to analyze that data. They're going to spit them out in patterns that we can't understand as humans, but machine learning can do that for us. And they'll recognize those patterns and be able to match them to other databases and be like, oh, you're pregnant or, hey, you might have breast cancer. So um, at our NMR facility here at Princeton, uh, my advisor, Isfan Peltzer, he runs the NMR facility. What we do here is uh, we are working on a large scale horse, uh, yeah, horse, horses uh, data set. And basically um, OCD or um, osteochondritis desiccans is a debilitating disease that not only affects horses, it affects young children too. It's in the knees. And so a lot of horses, whether they're racing horses or just farm horses, are affected by this. And so we have a data set of a lot of horses that have been bred in um, out in Pennsylvania. And uh, what the NMR facility at Princeton is doing is it's running uh, the blood serum that's been collected from these horses in our NMR machine. And then we're using machine learning to try to see if we can identify patterns. And why is this helpful? Why do we care? Um, because it's really paving the way forward to be better at diagnosing this uh, debilitating disease early on, because the earlier that you can diagnose diseases, whether it be OCD or whether it be cancer, it's the, the better chances of recovery for either the animal or the person. Um, why are we dealing with horses? There's a lot of HIPAA violations and stuff. So, you know, being able to use a data set with horses, we can easily see their names and see all of their different metabolic issues. It's just an easier time for everyone than having to go to like an IRB review board. So for my thesis specifically, I'm analyzing a data set that's already been analyzed. But uh, in our NMR facility, we use a really, really old system, Simca. I doubt anybody knows what that programming software is. And we actually have to pay for the license. So with my thesis, I'm arguing that this is something that can be done simply and for free with better and easier to understand or more user-friendly software. So there's an online platform called Metabol Analyst, but I'm also running this in MATLAB and I'm also doing it in R. So that's what my thesis was. It was comparing the analysis across those three software. That's awesome. You guys both have really cool topics and kind of to segue into the next question, like what inspired your guys' topics? Like what was, what was the burning passion that brought about these theses? <laughs> Um, for me, I actually started in chemistry research here at Princeton. Um, so I did gen chem. I had never done chemistry in high school. Like I'm a low income student. I came from one of the worst high schools in the state of Florida and I had never taken a chemistry class. And then I came in as like mole pre-med, which was a lot to do. Um, and so I like had Michael Hecht for like chem 201 as we all have for a million years because he's a million and one years old. <laughs> and um, like I was really into his research and like proteomics, like, you know, creating proteins from like nothing and seeing if they still work as proteins. Like that's insane. And so I worked in his lab summer of 2020 online and did a lot of like literature research on the topic and thinking of like how to design an experiment in like proteomics. And um, by the time I got around to entering EEB, which was its own journey, but I can talk about it some other time, is um, like I still kind of wanted to do that. And I wanted to see if I could come up with some type of project where I could work in like the HECT lab in the chem department and still be EEB, which is a thing that's like possible. Like you can do that. But I walked up to my advisor and I said, I really like proteins. And she was like, OK, um, anyways. <laughs> 
But a grad student in the lab had like just started thinking of this project, looking at proteins. Um, and so it all just kind of came together in that way that like, you know, I'm not creating proteins in the lab, but I am like counting and analyzing them. Um, and I think like understanding like the mechanisms, like I feel like every time I'm in an EEB class and we're talking about evolution just in general and like the bigger scale and I can give so many different examples, I'm like, okay, but what about like smaller? <laughs> like how, like what is like the most basic thing where like this like begins, um, I think is a really interesting question. And it's different from like, regular like mole work and that there is this like larger context ultimately like I'm not trying to figure out what proteins are doing for the sake of like finding out what proteins are doing it's like we can see this happen like if my if this gene that my thesis is written about is deleted in humans their behavior is completely different right like this is something that like you can physically see and like also like mess with um and so I think like that was like the thing that drew me into it I feel like that's a lot more put together and less convoluted story than mine. Nah, you got it. So I came in uh, CBE pre-med and I was a CBE major for literally one class period. And Good after the first day of CBE 245 of going over the syllabus, I dropped out. Um, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do mole or chem, but my interest always was more from a medical standpoint. I knew that whatever senior thesis research I did, whether that was in the mole department or the chem department, I wanted to be medically focused and the actual funny thing is the main reason why I dropped out of the engineering track was because I was afraid of coding <laughs> uh, I was supposed to take coastal 26 in my freshman spring and I was like oh my gosh I've never coded before like I need to drop this track and lo and behold being a pre-med everyone and their mother has to take a stats course and yeah. every stats course here has a coding component and when uh -huh. I took SML 201 my freshman spring I actually enjoyed it oh. I was like wait hold on hold on we're doing something and so fast forward, and I am a fake CBE major as a chem major with an SML cert. And so <laughs> I actually didn't join my uh, lab group until December of 2022. I just really wasn't able to find my groove of, hmm, what do I want to do that's medically focused, have a huge stats and coding component? Because that's what really, like, if there was a data analyst like major here, I would choose that. But then it's also okay to be in the chemistry department. And so I went to uh, uh, my lecturer at the time, Professor uh, Susan uh, Vanderkam, and she let me know about this project work that's going on. She's amazing. We I love, love her. We Dr. love Vanderkam. her. We love her. We love her. Yes. Um, and she let me know this project was going on. I was like, oh, wow, this is perfect. And um, because the data was already analyzed for me, I low-key really didn't have to do anything chemistry related. Like my thesis has been completely done from my bed on my laptop her. while all the other chemistry majors are running back and forth from Frick. So I think- <laughs> The interest wasn't really chemistry specific. It was just my own interest of how can I try to combine everything that I like um, about what I'm doing. And this is what came out of it. So we both came in as mole pre-med and then we're CBE not. CBE to mole, but now okay. still pre-med, okay. just chem though. Okay. I came in as mole and then considered chem, but I wouldn't take math 104. Oh. <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> You're stronger than I am. I think because I came in as an engineer, like it was, I already had to take it. Yeah, it was done. It was already done. It was already I done. See. Didn't take 201 though. Oh, period. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, guys. That is so great to hear. Um, it sounds like both of your topics, like it really just, it was meant to be. Um, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but what did your research look like and how long did it uh, take for you to conduct your research? Yeah. Um, so the EEB department is kind of unique in that, like, they, start like thinking about their theses in junior fall 
Um, so like you join your lab group in your junior fall and you kind of need to have some idea of a topic. It doesn't have to be like the whole thing, right? It's just like, I like proteins and like that was pretty much my thing, you know, um, to figure out like what group you might fit in and then figure out a project from there. Um, and you start doing like the literature research and stuff for your spring JP. And so I've pretty much spent like a year and a half on this project in total. So it was like the background research and like budget proposal, applying for funding and things like that, at like junior spring. And then the summer was data collection. So I was in the lab. I didn't get the chance to do that much because I am immunocompromised and I felt ill. It was a whole thing. Um, but thankfully, like my lab is really collaborative. If I was sick and not able to come into lab, like there was always someone there to like help with the data collection. Like in some places, if you're not there, like and your stuff is going to go bad, it's just gonna go bad. Like no one's gonna be there to help you with it or whatever. Um, so like thankfully I was never on my own with that kind of thing. And then pretty much all of senior year was just like data analysis. So I actually use these two bioanalytical packages and like Imani, I don't know if you've heard of these or not. Cause you, do you do bioanalytics? Somewhat. Okay, okay. Um, so I used Max2, which is involved in like ChipSeq, like protein counting. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, because that's what I did, like, ultimately was the method was, um, I don't need to get into that right now, actually. But, um, <laughs> like, I used, like, Max2 and DiffBind to, like, analyze because I had basically, like, data for the entire genome of all six, like, samples that came from six different dogs in <laughs> my thesis, which is, like, a lot. Like, if I downloaded those files onto my computer, my computer would be bricked mm -hmm. because it's that much data. Like, you cannot... <laughs> under any circumstances like do it on your own like it's it's this whole thing and I like don't have a super strong coding background like I also took SML 201 and that was it right like I like and it was online like I <laughs> let's okay are sure like I can say I know it but I didn't really like know any coding languages so it was a lot of like learning and trying things and having like really really stupid bugs and having to send them to my grad student and having to have her help me <laughs> and like just constant like that and then writing kind of happened along the way I tried to like at least open the document for like 20 minutes a week you know like even if it's just like a sentence just like do it and so it was like the majority of it was pretty much written by the time like the spring, mid-spring, let's say mid-spring, <laughs> rolled around. And um, yeah, I think it from there, like EEB, we're required to do a poster and we're also required to do like a defense, like verbal, oral, like conversation kind of where they ask us questions and stuff. And so like preparing those things was like the majority of the spring. And now we're here. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Again, I think my story is a lot more less traditional. Um, so the chemistry department... In the fall, like there is a, I'm forgetting the name, colloquium, where basically they have different uh, researchers in the chemistry department and some like cross mole chem um, come and present what work is going on in their lab. And then in the spring, we join a group. I reached out to one of my professors who taught um, my Chem 305 course, um, Professor Scholes, my junior fall. And I worked in his lab until the end of senior fall. So like I worked in his lab for over a year and it just really didn't click for me. I didn't find that I felt seen in the group, that I fit in the group. I mean, the chemistry department in itself is already like not a very diverse department. I'm one of two black seniors. Uh, last year, the class of 2022, there were three. I think right now in the class of 24, there's only one black uh, chemistry student. So being the only black person in my lab group, I definitely did not feel 
comfortable. I didn't feel like I was being engaged in the work. And while I feel like there was a lot of quote unquote freedom to do what I wanted, I also feel there was a lot of unrealistic expectations put on me. So me and that lab group did not work out, which is why I didn't uh, join ISFAN in this group until December, which is kind of like crazy because by then most lab groups were like, yeah, no, we are full. We have enough seniors. Um, but with ISFAN, it's been really great. He's given me a lot of latitude to do what I want, but also give me a lot of guidance. And I think that's what I needed the most was like guidance because the only lab experience that I have is uh, physics 103 for my freshman fall because all of my lab experience that I would have gotten like mole 214 orgo was online. And so the only like chemistry quote unquote lab experience I have was core lab my junior fall, but that's like, Nobody knew what was happening in Core Lab. <laughs> Nobody knew what was happening in Core Lab. So being thrust into senior work in a lab and I have to mix things and I'm working with, I, it was actually working with proteins actually. Yeah. Um, tubulin, microtubulin. Yeah. Um, like That's I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm coming to this lab for like three hours, six hours a week. And I still don't know what I'm doing. What, like this current work that I'm doing, I can confidently go and speak and defend it. So we also have a defense, but I've been sick actually for the past like three weeks. I've been in the hospital. So I actually got an extension on my thesis and all of that. So um, it's just been much a better time for me mentally and emotionally being in this new group. And in terms of what the research looked like, I feel like most of the work that I put in from December to like February was just learning the background information on this topic. Like it's such a wide topic that you can get really lost down various corners if you don't try to really pull it in. So I think most of my confusion came from what does my advisor want me to do? I'm already working with a data set that's been analyzed in not only theses already at Princeton, but like other independent work. What does he want to see from me? And I think just from going and meeting with him multiple times, like I have a clear or had a clear idea of what I need to put in my thesis. So like comparing my PCA results and my PLS results and these different spectrums across these different software compared to the previous analyses that have already been done. So that's really what my research was, was just going into the literature and learning what has been done, what has not been done. And what I think the thing that the chemistry department likes to emphasize a lot is what gap are you addressing, not only in the field of chemistry, but also in the larger picture of things. So like for me, this is something that most people don't, when they do metabolic phenotyping like research, they don't focus on NMR just because feasibility wise, an NMR machine is more expensive to upkeep. It costs more certification to work on and hospitals just don't have the funds to have those huge machines. But in using NMR, they're non-invasive. So you can get a lot more out of it and a lot more analysis on the live species that you put under the machine. Um, and in terms of the bigger picture thing, it's a great addition to research that's going on how to improve medical diagnosis. Um, so I've had a lot of fun time with this thesis. That's so cool. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, so to kind of follow up on that, like, what did you guys discover and like, what were your guys' biggest takeaways from your topic? Yeah, I think um, some things I really want to emphasize and thank you for bringing up like your experience, like finding a fit in the lab, because I think like a lot of people when they're thinking about like their theses, like especially in STEM, but I think also in the humanities, like it's a lot of focus on the topic. And like, I'm a firm believer that like a great advisor and like a meh topic is a way better time than like a topic you're really interested in and an advisor that like you just don't get along with or like just yep. doesn't work Completely well agree. with you, mm -hmm. right? Like, I think that's something that's so important. Um, 
And so I think like in terms of that process, like my lab, uh, when I joined it was all but one person were women in the lab. And like I have colorful hair and like piercings and stuff like that. And like my advisor has like full sleeves of tattoos and like blue hair. Um, and like she wore ripped jeans when being interviewed by Anderson Cooper for 60 minutes. Like, right. Like, (laughs) like it's just a place that like even visually it's like, this makes sense for me. And like, I have friends who like were in the chemistry department and like they were the only woman in their lab group Mm -hmm. and there were no gloves that were their size. All of the things that they needed to do their experiments were on like the top shelf and they literally just couldn't reach it because it's like all these like tall men. (laughs) And like, you know, it's just like it's really small things like that. Or like, you know, I know in the E-Quad right now, there are some floors that like don't even have women's bathrooms and stuff like that. And so like, you know, it can really impact your experience if you're spending 12 hours a day in lab. Right. And you have to go somewhere else to go to the bathroom or something like that or like you spend your whole day and you never see anyone that looks like you or like has your lived experiences. I think that plays like a really big role in like the overall experience, Um, not just socially, but also in like the actual work that you're doing. Um, Yeah. But on the topic of like my thesis, um, so I actually found, I was looking for like activating proteins. So proteins that are usually found around like enhancer regions of genes. So basically these proteins are here and then they either recruit other proteins or they play some function, generally speaking, that, like, creates, like, makes that gene, like, be expressed more. And in my thesis, I actually did not find, like, differences in this, like, activation between, like, the more social and less social, like, genotype at that specific gene. However, when you have, like, the less social genotype, that where it's, like, the gene is longer, there actually are more proteins in this, like, longer version of it. So, like, when this gene is longer and it's, like, less social, there's more proteins there. And it actually, like, loops around on itself. Like, the DNA forms, like, a little loop-de-loop. And the idea from this is that these activating proteins are on this loop, and then it, like, doubles back over the gene, and it's, like, indirectly activating it in this, like, less social. In the more social, this loop doesn't form, and so these, like, activating proteins... They're not getting quite as many, like, over this gene, and so it's not expressed quite as much, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then I also found that there was, like, these activating proteins across the whole genome on these, like, genes in this pathway called the Wnt signaling pathway. And, like, in humans, these genes are implicated in, like, autism spectrum disorders, which has to do with, like, antisocial behavior. And so, like, I think in the future, looking at, like, what's going on specifically there and, like, what, like, those genes specifically are doing in dogs um, could be really interesting. Oh, and my controls were, like, clean. That's really important to know. Like, the experiments worked, (laughs) Uh, which doesn't happen a lot of the time. (laughs) Um, For my thesis, I don't think I went into that much detail um, previously. So in terms of what am I specifically looking for, what I mean by I have a horse data set. So I have um, a data set of 40 horses and basically serum samples, blood serum samples were taken from these horses. And there was a composite NMR spectrum that was made from all of the um, the blood samples. And from this NMR spectrum, if you can remember from Gen Chem, if you took Gen Chem, like what does the NMR spectrum do? It helps you identify different molecules, different compounds, different things by like chemical shift. And so like this data set already came with a pre-labeled NMR spectrum of metabolites. So thing like alpha glucose, beta glucose, things, metabolites that are in the blood of horses and humans too, because it's a disease that affects humans as well, that is associated with OCD. Um, So basically um, what my results look like was taking this data set and running 
principal component analysis or partially squares regression um, in whatever software it was to try and identify what was the top like 25 most important metabolites that were associated with OCD. And then because this research has already been done before, there's already a list there. And then um, in Metabol Analyst, in MATLAB, and in R, I'm generating that list and then comparing, okay, where was the match? How great was the match? When I make my PCA model in this versus that, how great is that model? And I found that in terms of the accuracy, in terms of did I just get the metabolites right? The most metabolites identified. Metabol Analyst, which is an online platform, zero coding involved whatsoever. You just upload your data and you click a bunch of buttons and it does it for you, was the most accurate. And I also tracked like efficiency because when you're coding, that's an important thing too that a lot of people don't mention. If I was doing it perfectly and I knew 100% what I was doing, I'd say it took me about 32 minutes to do that. But because I did not know what I was doing going in and, you know, Sometimes you upload the wrong thing or you have to do like outlier exclusion, delete things from the data set and put it back up. I'd say probably two to three hours on Metabol Analyst. In terms of like the worst overall, me personally, I found that it was MATLAB. I do not know how to code in MATLAB, so I had to learn how to use MATLAB. Um, MATLAB is very non-user friendly if you're coming in without any experience at all. And there was actually some error in my code that I was not able to resolve, not using like online resources like Stack Exchange for help or even like the live editor. And also like I experienced this in R and a QCB class that I took last semester uh, working with like genome data. And like you said, if you have too much data, it will crash. My MATLAB crashed and I was using MATLAB online no. many times. No. Um, so for me personally, I'd say it took me like four or five hours with MATLAB. But if I was actually timing all of the extraneous things that happened, maybe like eight and there's somebody out there who's like a genius coder in MATLAB, like, oh my gosh, that's going to take me two seconds. Well, sorry, that was my experience. <laughs> and I think overall, even though I'm definitely biased as an SML cert and all the coding classes I've taken have done, been done in R, overall, I think like the best like Goldilocks situation was the R programming language. Um, there wasn't complete accuracy in the metabolite list, but in terms of flexibility like it's not just a random online platform like there's different avenues and different like workflows a person can choose in R and R also offers a Stokesy analysis um, which is a little bit more uh, complex in terms of identifying metabolites that metabolanalyst does not offer um, and I think too because R is a coding programming language and not an online platform it can, it's a little bit more robust in terms of how how large of data sets it can handle so that was what I found in terms of like specifics of my thesis. In terms of overall, I found um, exactly like what you said. Like it's not really the topic that really makes the thesis. It's really the advisor and how comfortable you are with them. Because I knew no matter what I was going to do with my thesis, it was going to be something medically related, something related to coding. I didn't care. Um, and because I have a great advisor, I actually really do enjoy this topic and had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. So for anybody listening out there, Find the right fit. Don't worry about the project. The project will come after. Yeah. Yeah. Vibe check your potential advisors. 100%. Vibe check them. I asked my advisor what her like favorite type of music was. And she's like, well, I'm not going to answer that. But I will tell you <laughs> that I've always wanted to learn to play the harmonica. And I was like, that makes sense. <laughs> I can't explain it. but <laughs> I think playing the harmonica, that's a good vibe check. Like, right. That in the triangle. Right. Ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. If you guys could go back in time with your thesis, is there anything that you would want to do differently? I think for me, like as a disabled student, figuring out accommodations, like 
when we talk about accommodations or like this thing that you have that like already exists and you just ask for it and then like ODS will tell you like yes or no and that's like not in actuality like how it works like when you're disabled you have to like figure out what it is that you need and then how you're going to get it and then how you're going to communicate it and then like ask for that after you've done all that and then see if you get it and a lot of times you don't and then you have to figure out how to do that right and there's like all of these steps involved while you're still like coping with your disability and everything else that you have to do right um and like my disability includes like pain and like fatigue and so <laughs> like a lot of my experience it's like I'm having to like navigate all of these things like while I'm experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of exhaustion and I think that like coming into it I don't know necessarily what specifically I would do, but I feel like figuring out a way to be more clear about what kinds of accommodations that I want. Um, like I mentioned over the summer, I was sick and um, I didn't really get to do as much of the lab work as I would have liked. And like part of that was like time constraints, right? Like we're all like running on, you know, certain timelines and people are here certain times and they're not. And, um, you know, I'm not blaming anybody, especially not in my lab. Like they're all amazing but, like, I wish that I could have, like, actually had my hands on a lot more in the lab. Like, I wish I could have just, like, been there more and, like, been able to do more, like, the physical parts of it. Um, because, like, for me, coding is not the most rewarding thing. Like, that's not what I came into the project to, like, do for the majority of the time. And so I think, like, that's really the only thing. Like, I don't have any regrets about the project itself like I got a negative result but like that's science she's a cruel cruel mistress sometimes and that's okay but yeah I'm gonna save that quote for later <laughs> um I think I want to really validate what you said I think it's so important to think about accommodations I am also a disabled student I have type 1 diabetes and so many times when I was in the skulls lab like for hours and hours my blood sugar would drop and then I got to take off the gloves and take this off hand sanitize run downstairs get something to eat and run back up all without like and even though, like, I expressed this to my advisor because I took a class with him. And so, like, you know, when you do accommodations, you have to send to your teachers. I still felt like it was being put against me that I had to take breaks. And whether it was because I was black or a woman or a combination of the two, it just did not feel great at all. So if I could go back, I think I'd really like what you said, like, vibe check my advisor. Because I really went off the vibes of how he taught his course because he really taught a really great course. and But not of him as an advisor and my fit in the lab because we're the complete opposite. Um, coding is what makes me feel great, but not doing the hands-on experiments. Like when I say I'm a fake chemistry major, I'm a fake chemistry major. I'm just chemistry to be pre-med. I hate you. working in the lab. I hate experimental chemistry. Physical, inorganic stuff where I don't have to mix this with that. That's me. Like <laughs> put me behind the machine. Let me type, let me code, whatever. That's who I am. And so his nice. lab is a lot more hands-on focused. So it's like, ugh, I'm doing stuff that I don't even want to do. But at least, hey, maybe I'll be able to put some coding into my thesis, question mark. So I wish I would have really taken my time to listen to all of the the presenters that came to speak. Because Isfan actually came to speak uh, during our colloquium. But I wasn't paying attention at the time because like, oh, I'm already in the lab. Like, why am I going to blah, 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 blah. And so I definitely would have joined his uh, lab sooner. And I wish I could have actually done a lot of the NMR experiments, um, instead of just using someone else's data, it would have been interesting to collect my own data and then do coding on that. Um, so if I could go back in time, that's what I'd do. Gotcha. Well, our last question is a little bit more tied to what you guys have already talked about. So if you guys want to like reiterate what you've mentioned before, or if you want to, you know, bring something new up, but like, what advice would you have for seniors in the future working on their theses? It's hard because I feel like all of the like 
advice for seniors that you see is like start early and then they like proceed to follow like intimidation tactics to try and like scare people into writing their theses. Um, and like there's a reason why people end up like having to rush their theses at the end, right? You know, like like there's a reason why it like hasn't been solved, I guess is what I'm saying. Like people still do it no matter what. But I think the whole time I was writing my thesis and working on the project, I would just say like this is just another thing that I have to do. Right? Like it's just another requirement. On the list of things that you need to graduate and get your degree, like the thesis is one box to be checked. And it can be really long, it can be really big, it can be really stressful. There's a lot of moving parts and you have to manage it yourself for the most part, right? Like in a lot of cases, I know in some departments, especially like not STEM ones, they're just like, write 100 pages by April whatever and like turn it in, you know, and you don't necessarily have like that like accountability. For EEB, like the first day of senior fall, they just send us an email and they're like, your thesis is due May 1st, good luck, you know? And like, that's kind of it. Like in the department, the grad students might be reaching out to help or whatever, but like no one's asking us for drafts. No one's like managing our timeline. It's all on us to do. And like, that's a lot. And I don't want to pretend like it isn't or like it isn't hard or it wasn't hard for me, but it's just another thing you got to do and turn in. <laughs> um, you know, like I tried to think of it as like any other assignment for like a class, you know, and give it like that amount of attention. Whatever time I have for it is the time that I have for it. And that's going to have to be okay. Right. And like, ultimately, you're going to get a degree. <laughs> like a good thesis is a done thesis. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and like, just really trying to keep it in perspective in like the long run. This is not going to be like the most defining moment of my life. Um, I really hope not, at least, because it was a negative result. But, um, <laughs> right, like, just trying to keep it in perspective. And I think that helped me make, like, consistent progress on it. Because now, instead of it being, like, this huge life-altering thing that, like, I'm too scared to open, it's just, like, all right, I'm going to write a sentence for this assignment. And then I'm going to open up my P-set for whatever class. And I'm going to finish that P-set. And then if I have time, I'll circle back around and write another sentence. And, like, that was kind of it. Yeah, I think, like, that's the best advice I have is, like, start early if you can, but, like, that's just, like, the thesis isn't made for people with disabilities. It isn't made for people who are neurodivergent. It is not made for people who are experiencing this campus in ways that people were not intended to, i.e., like, this campus was not made for disabled black women <laughs> or any women or any black people or anyone that is not some, like, rich white dude. So, like, <laughs> you know, like... I think there's there's so many things about it that can be really educational and transformational. You know, like it's a it's an opportunity to learn about something at your own pace, but it's also feeding into this like greater system that's like super colonial and shitty. And I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, super colonial and bad. <laughs> and so, like, you know, I think like putting once again like. You know, it's it goes in its little box and it stays in its little box and whatever product you end up with. Right. It just has to meet whatever requirements and then turn it in. And that's it. Where were you at the beginning of this year to give me that advice? I think that advice is so powerful. Um, me personally, as a chemistry major, as a pre-med, um, like this thesis has greatly negatively impacted me physically, mentally and emotionally because, you know, as a pre-med, you need to have 
great GPA and it's like because I'm a chemistry major this thesis doesn't just affect like my overall GPA it affects my science GPA for med school also mm-hmm. and it's like you need different like research publications and things for that so this thesis was like a lot for me it was like a make or break of like my GPA of this or that and it like the fact that I was starting behind everybody else in my department I already felt behind from the get-go so like this thesis really just plagued me it impacted uh the rest of my academics impacted my relationships with other people like I don't know why but I've been fighting for my life with this thesis and so to hear you say that is like really powerful because at the end of the day you're right this is just a piece of paper it's a book it's a electronic upload that once it's said and done like it's done like I think it's kind of ridiculous Princeton is the only Ivy League that requires a thesis like even when like if you're pre-med you're looking to apply to the Ivy Leagues that's when there's a thesis requirement when you're applying to like you're in medical school at like an Ivy League school so like having this requirement and no other Ivy League has that it's so hard and I think like I just want to validate that for like other people like Mm -hmm. know that it's going to be hard and I think one of the biggest things that helped me was doing the thesis senior, uh, the senior thesis boot camp over um, spring break. Because just like you said with EEB, chemistry is also the same thing. We're just given the due date of April 17th. And that was that. Go ahead, have fun. No drafts, nothing. Some people, advisors, like if you don't reach out to them, you'll never hear from them. Um, So I think my biggest advice would be don't self-isolate. That's like my maladaptive behavior when I'm stressed out to self-isolate. Surround yourself with friends, especially people in your department, because I was so shocked to head into that senior thesis boot camp and thinking like, oh, my gosh, I'm so behind on my thesis. And not only were there other people in other departments in the same place or worse than I was, there were other chemistry majors who were in the same place that I was. And I was shook. I was like, what? You mean I'm not dumb? I'm just (laughs) struggling like everyone else? And it was such a validating experience to feel that. So I think my greatest advice would be to, one, do something you love. You're going to be here for four years or however long you're here for. There's no point of doing something just to do it. Like I know some people might go get a job in a place that they don't like for the money. You will never be happy that way. Do what's going to make you happy. And also just surround yourself with other people with good support systems may not be cps because we know how cps is here but surround yourself with friends and loved ones they'll really help you get through it all right imani hannah thank you so much for sitting with us it was really cool learning about you guys' theses and getting like really awesome advice from you guys but yeah thank you so much thank Thank you you. (laughs) this episode was hosted by senna altabosh and simone kirkfold sound engineered by me and produced under the 147th managing board of the prince for the daily princetonian i'm eden Tashoma. Have a great rest of your day.